The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. This is going to be good. How sweet is that? <laughs> Bill's concept, man. Ooh, the extreme, man. It came from his brain. I had a hand in it. <laughs> wow, it is great. What is it? It's an instrument pack for studying tornadoes. First one in history. It's very exciting. Scientists have been studying tornadoes forever, but still nobody knows how a tornado works. We have no idea what is going on inside because nobody's ever been able to take scientific measurements from inside the funnel. That's what she's going to do. How? We put her up inside a tornado. She opens and releases hundreds of these sensors that measure all parts of the tornado simultaneously. You see, Melissa, it's like this. These sensors go up the funnel and radio back information about the internal structure, wind velocities, flow asymmetries. We could learn more in 30 seconds than I have in the past 30 years. Get a profile of a tornado for the first time. And what will that do? If we knew how a tornado really worked, we could design an advanced warning system. Aren't there already tornado warnings? Well, the civil They're not good enough. They're nowhere near good enough. Right now, it's three minutes. If we can get this new information, we can increase warning time to 15 minutes. Give people a chance to get to safety. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, October 25th, 2018. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing, it's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Weather and climate have preoccupied mankind since the very beginning of recorded history, and you would think that in the 21st century, all of weather and climate superstitions would have long since disappeared. But no, the climate derangement syndrome continues unabated, and we're going to be talking about that with our in-studio guest, Dave Plum. Dave, welcome back to the show. Good to be here, thanks. Excellent to have you. We'll get underway right after we remind our listeners that they can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, and follow us on SoundCloud, Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right social media links and, of course, all of our archived broadcasts. Well, Dave, you're the author of the book Inconveniently Screwed. Yes, it's, it's called Inconveniently Screwed. Now, I started out with Climate Hope uh, and I tried to sell that to publishers and nobody was interested because... Apparently, hope doesn't sell in in today's world. People want to hear about catastrophes, so I spun it a slightly different way, and and I changed the hope to uh, a story of catastrophe, and it's not climate catastrophe, it's economic catastrophe that we're wreaking upon ourselves through all this uh, nonsense of uh, fighting climate change, spending tens of billions of dollars needlessly in a a pointless war against Earth's climate. Now, the problem with the whole climate discussion to begin with is that there's two incredibly unrelated parts of it, one being the political issue around climate and the other one being a study of climate itself, which to me seem not to be related at all. I'm looking at the latest climate study, uh, this latest UN report that has come out that I see in the paper here, climate study skews the blame, which 
printed on October 15th. And here they are. They are now going to talk about downstream emissions. They're going to blame, for example, a car manufacturer for the pollution, not the consumers who drive the cars around. And right away that tells me, okay, that's political. There's more consumers than there are producers. Well, it's already been established yeah. by their own admission that the International Panel on Climate Change's goal is to redistribute wealth and to destroy capitalism. They said that themselves. So it only feeds into that. Well, sure. But then you get every other political interest group, like here they, they cite Bernie Sanders in the States, who wants to stick up for the little guy who's bearing all the brunt. So they're going to take the blame uh, off of the little guy and put it on the corporations, right? And then, they, then you've got on Twitter people who are into vegan diets. For them, climate change represents an excuse to get rid of um, meat. Meat. Cows, right? yeah. So everybody's got an agenda that they can attach to this climate issue. And it be, I begin to wonder, is knowledge about climate even relevant or necessary <laughs> in terms of the, fu- the, the bigger picture that nobody seems to care about the facts on this one? Or they're operating in an, an incredible vacuum. I think it's a bit of both. Any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, my thoughts are that uh, in the political spectrum and the mainstream media, the science doesn't matter. It's all political. I mean, even uh, you look at Neil deGrasse Tyson on his uh, Cosmos Spacetime Odyssey series, I believe it's episode 12, he's talking about Venus, and he says it's as hot as an oven and uh, hot enough to melt lead, and you may think it's because Venus is so much closer to the sun than Earth is, but that's not the reason. And in, in saying that, this guy who's supposedly a world-renowned astrophysicist is denying the reality of the inverse square law, which there isn't a, a real scientist on the planet that will dispute the reality of the inverse square law. But this astrophysicist says the inverse square law doesn't matter. So that's a so-called expert denying the real science. And to me, these people are the real deniers. But as I say, the science doesn't matter. It's all about the politics. Well, I've always thought when I hear these words climate change that what they're talking about is certainly not the climate of the planet Earth. They're talking about a political climate and changing it from one of uh, capitalism to one of communism and international socialism. That's always what it's been about. So, yes, to your point, Bob, facts don't matter. The science doesn't matter. All that matters is politics and power. So then to whom do the facts matter? To you and I, to reasonable people. Yes, to reasonable people. And I, I think that you can talk about the facts all you want to the left who will not be interested one way or the other because the facts just get in the way of their agenda, so they dismiss them. But for those of of us who do actually want to know how the world works, what makes things tick, the facts are very valuable. And for people who haven't really got a commitment or or an agenda, I think being able to be exposed to the debate may be very useful for them. But if if the idea of, of doing books like this is to convince people on the left that they are wrong. Would that be a futile goal, do you think? <laughs> well, I, I, I think the majority of people would like to know what the real truth is. They'd like to understand the science, and they'd like to have a comeback to people on the left who are trying to sell them this pig in a poke of uh, spending so many uh, taxpayer dollars fighting climate change. Uh, my wife and I took a, a vacation in, in Europe just recently. It was a bus tour, and I had a copy of my book on the tour. A number of people were interested in it. One fellow on the bus actually bought the book. But he said, you know, he says, for, for a long time I've known that, that what we're being told is wrong. 
uh, but I, I just haven't had the facts, the understanding of the science to, to explain to people why it's wrong, why I believe it's wrong. And he said, this book will give me the tools I need, the knowledge I need to be able to say to the people, well, here's the counterpoint to the political side of it. And yet again, on the other side of the coin, the other side doesn't have any facts at all. <laughs> it's all um, fear-mongering. Well, you have, Complete people like, you have people like Al Gore going on tour, and he puts a graph up, the infamous hockey stick yeah. graph. And so people look at that. Here is a former vice president of the United States. Here's a graph. So obviously you combine two things. One is supposed science with a graph, and two is supposed authority in, in Al Gore. So that combination has turned people uh, into believers in anthropogenic uh, global warming. And what we need on the reasonable side, on the scientific side, are, again, graphs and authority. You're definitely supplying the graph part of the equation in your book, Dave, the science. Yeah. I'm not an authority figure, though. You may not be an authority, but it takes authorities to pick this book up and say, Yes, Milankovitch cycles, there's the relationship. Venus is not the, the proper model to look at. We're not in a greenhouse. And start to see all the dominoes fall. And then we need some authority to come out and say, look, this is all hogwash. Unfortunately, what we have are people like uh, Doug Ford here in the province of Ontario in Canada saying that, oh, we're not going to impose a carbon tax. We're going to roll back the carbon tax from the previous Liberal government, which is great. Kudos to them. But on the other hand, they'll say, we're going to get rid of greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide in another way. So they're buying into the nonsense, the scientific part of it, and then they're using their authority to, to further that goal of getting rid of carbon dioxide and, and, the, and, the, and the internal combustion engine. You know, carbon dioxide is plant food, so by all means, let's get rid of the plant food because we don't <laughs> need plants, right? The interesting thing is, and uh, if, if you watch An Inconvenient Truth, Al Gore goes on at some length about uh, the, the important point is that in all of this time, and I think he quotes 650,000 years, uh, carbon dioxide has never gone over 400 parts per million. Well, there's two points to that. Number one is where has carbon dioxide uh, not gone over, or 300 parts per million rather, it's up to about 400 now. Um, and there's uh, quite a difference between the northern and southern hemisphere that we can get into in some detail. Uh, but the other thing is this 650,000 years is, is a blink in time in terms of uh, climate change. And uh, we're used to talking about climate change uh, in terms of decades or even centuries, which is ridiculous because climate doesn't change over decades and centuries. It changes over tens and hundreds of thousands of years. We live in an uh, interglacial or, uh, period, uh, the Holocene interglacial period, but we live in an ice age, and interglacial periods happen for about 10% of the time during ice ages. And this ice age started, uh, the Quaternary Ice Age started 2.58 million years ago. And when you look at that, 650,000 years is about one quarter of the Quaternary Ice Age in which we presently live. So it's a very small slice of the pie. And the last time CO2 and... Uh, and temperature were this low was about a quarter of a billion years ago during the Karoo Ice Age. In the Karoo Ice Age, uh, CO2 was uh, down to 300 parts per million for about 70 million years. And the Karoo Ice Age lasted for about 50 million years of that. So this Ice Age is only just getting started. And the interglacial period we live in 
Uh, these things typically go on for about 10,000 years. It started 11,500 years ago, so we're right in the tail end of the present interglacial period, and uh, we should be concerned about how we're, uh, what we're going to do when the glaciers reform over the northern hemisphere. Move south, I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to have to learn how to build houses and roads and, uh, and grow crops on solid ice, I guess, or we're going to have to move south. So what you're suggesting with all, all of that information uh, which nobody could even fathom of retaining in their head, is that we need, if anything, to increase the the temperature of the planet, if such a thing were even possible for humanity to do. Well, if we burn enough fossil fuel, we might be able to extend the uh, Holocene interglacial period by a few decades, uh, maybe even a few lifetimes, or if we're really lucky, maybe even a few centuries. But eventually, the... Uh, the orbital dynamics, uh, the Milankovitch cycles, are going to prevail. Uh, there's just no getting around that. It's not going to matter how much carbon dioxide is in the atmosphere because we've had uh, glaciers a few kilometers thick over this part of the world when uh, CO2 has been much higher than it is now. And that's coming again because the orbital dynamics dictate climate. It's not has nothing to do with greenhouse gases. I think when, gas. we, when we come back after this little break, we should talk about the Milankovitch cycles because people should have that in their repertoire when they talk about climate change. And I, I think that that's probably the number one thing other than CO2, which is nonsense. Let's talk Milankovitch. We've talked about that before, uh, but it's it's a very important point. It's the main climate driver on this planet. Uh, we need to have people understanding it, and we need to talk about the distribution of uh, carbon dioxide, too. Just spoke with Katie Ray Perfit from 350.org. She basically said that the projections that come from some of those in the know, like the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, say we've got to get to completely renewable fuels. Mm, we have till 2030, so we've got about 12 years. And that it does have to come from government action. Brian, your thoughts on this? Hello. Hey, Brian. How's it going today? Great, thanks. Um, one person that really uh, is leading the charge on this climate change thing is actually Arnold Schwarzenegger because he learned about all this stuff when he was governor and uh, one of the arguments he comes up with is actually uh, you got two garages in front of you one is an empty garage and the other one has a running car in it which garage do you want to spend time in I want to go to the empty one yeah so the idea is if we do nothing then something might happen. But if we adjust our pollution output, at least we're getting rid of the pollution and lowering asthma rates in children and making ourselves a little bit healthier. Um, even if there is, even if climate change is a hoax, pollution is not. We all know what pollution does. We all remember what smog looked like in the city, and it's cleaner now. Yeah, you go to some big cities, and here's the thing. At the end of the day, blow your nose. If you're in a big city long enough, you'll see black stuff come out at the end of the day. That's that's not good. Yeah, and that's exactly the point. Like, forget about this climate change. Whether you like it or not, or believe it or not, let's just clean up the air. And maybe along the way, we'll get some good done. Brian, well said. Thanks for the call. Tim, your thoughts on this? Hi, Mike. How are you? Pretty good. Good. You know what? I have a problem with spending my money 
on things that are ridiculous. You know, when when electricity was invented and Edison and Tesla were both put in their their ideas for it, Tesla had a way to pull electricity right out of the air free of charge. If you had a light, you turned it on, the electricity was gathered from out of the air around it and turned the light on for you. And they, the, the powers that be said, no way, we're not using that because we can't charge you for it. <laughs> so they went with Edison's way, which sends it through a wire to your house so they can charge you for it. Um, the, Tesla had, had come up with perpetual motion machines that would cost nothing for electricity, for, for any kind of power. And, and the people that run the world, the, Roth, the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds in them, they put a squash on it because they own all the oil and they own all of the banks, and they're the ones that are going to lose money, and they just put a kibosh on it. And until, uh, say, whoever is our premier or prime minister comes and says, screw you to the rest of the world, and puts money into something that can actually be done and not charge people for it, that's when things will change. And until that happens, I don't want you taking money out of my pocket to do anything. That's And you know what? Your attitude is very, very common. And it's one that, you know, uh, tell me what to do, but at the same time, show me that we're going to get results. And you're exactly right. Follow the money. That's right. Follow the money. But the thing is, who knows what climate change is doing when you have governments around the world with harp systems in that that can cause rain to not fall there and to fall over there? Or you can they they shoot they shoot uh, what do you call them little missile things into uh, rain clouds yeah cloud and it seeding. goes off and, it, and it'll cause a freaking tornado <laughs> or whatever and then yeah. you've got every country in the world has it right like China used it so it wouldn't rain during the Olympics when it was there the technology is there you're right that's right and so why, why are why are people thinking that you know how many tor- how many volcanoes are going off around this world at any one time it's more than you could ever believe. So who's to say that that my motorcycle is causing the damage and not that volcano that's spewing ash up into the stratosphere? You know what I mean? It's it, 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 till people prove something or show me that we're actually causing it. Climate change is is real, and it's gone on for four hundred meals, four hundred million years since the first people or whoever it was were on this planet. 400 million years ago. Tim, your points are well taken. Got to go for news. Thanks so Thanks, much Mike. for the call. No, Tim's exactly right. And and that is that is what we're all left with. Show me. You know, guys, with, with friends like that, who needs enemies? If these people are supposedly on the side of uh, reason and denying the climate hype that's out there from the UN and, and authorities, then... We're in for some trouble because the average person has no idea about the science of climate change. Not only that, they have, you know, it's, it's, they know things that ain't so. Just, right. just <laughs> listening to some of those callers talk about um, humanity being on Earth 400 million years ago, um, equating carbon monoxide in a garage, closed garage, with carbon dioxide, a completely different molecule. Utterly unbelievable, you know, and that came up during the Senate hearings, too. You know, I, I'm reminded that it wasn't too long ago in our history of humanity that the authorities were sacrificing virgins to the gods <laughs> so that they could get good harvests and good weather. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed since those days of, of, of sacrifice. As a matter of fact, what we're doing today is sacrificing people's um, lifestyles and good health and a great economy to the, uh, the climate gods. 
That's exactly what we're doing. It's just like in the Aztecs, tossing people off pyramids so that they can have a good corn crop. It, as, as nothing said, has changed. It's, it's all superstition. Yeah, let's let's get into some facts and some meat here, Dave, and talk about the Milankovitch cycles. Educate us. Okay, Milankovitch cycles. Uh, three major cycles. The the big one is eccentricity, which is how stretched out the Earth's orbit is. And it varies from being uh, 75,000 kilometers out of round to being a little over uh, 9 million kilometers out of round. Uh, another cycle is uh, obliquity, which is axial tilt, varies over a few degrees. And the third cycle is precession, which basically means that we adjust our calendars so we don't see it. But the seasons move around the globe on a... Uh, on a 26,000-year cycle. So if we did not adjust our calendars to cancel out precession, 13,000 years from now, Christmas weather in December 25th would be like June 25th is now and vice versa. We, we would basically have Southern Hemisphere weather. Milutin Milankovic was a Serbian uh, scientist who lived in the um, late uh, 19th century and early part of the 20th century. I believe he passed on in uh, 1959, but he devoted much of his life to the study of these orbital cycles. And he discovered that on a 400,000-year cycle, there's a major 400,000-year cycle, but there are more minor cycles uh, every 100,000 years, and they're tied very closely into the uh, eccentricity, the amount that the Earth's orbit is stretched out, which um, right now we're about halfway between maximum and minimum eccentricity, and we're moving towards minimum eccentricity, and we'll be there in about 25,000 years. Uh, obliquity works on a 41,000-year cycle, and again, we're about halfway through the cycle between maximum and minimum, and we will be at minimum obliquity in about 11,400 years. Uh, what he discovered was that uh, when eccentricity is minimal and when uh, obliquity is minimal and when land masses are basically mostly polar distributed, which they are right now, we get glaciation. And that happens regularly. And over the last uh, 800,000 years, it has happened uh, every, every 100,000 years um, that we get glaciers for roughly 90,000 years and we get an interglacial period for about 10,000 years. And I mentioned earlier that uh, the present interglacial period has been going on for uh, 11,400 years. So we're at the tail end of the present interglacial period. And I have graphs in the book that show where we are in the present cycle and where we were 400,000 years ago and where we were 800,000 years ago, which were identical points in the cycle 400 and 800,000 years ago. And immediately following that, we got glaciers in the Northern Hemisphere. People think that because we're burning fossil fuels today, somehow this time is going to be different. I disagree, and the science disagrees. Well, that's interesting because you're talking in terms of time spans that you just blank out when you hear them in terms of a human lifespan, right? Like, the, like our lifespans are insignificant to these long-term things. And of course, all the climate uh, changers who want, who want to fight climate change are suggesting this is an urgent thing that's going to be upon us within 12 years. It's all, all going to be over by 2030, which we've heard before, and that we, should, and that we have the technologies to do something about it, which is amazing news to me. I don't think I've ever heard of such technology that we, we can actually affect technology. the climate. 
Why do so many people believe that we do? Well, when you're talking about climate in Science terms fiction? of uh, deca <laughs> decadal periods, which is like in chunks of 10 years or even centuries or, or millennia for that matter, you're not really talking about climate. You're talking about weather. Uh, climate change happens over tens and hundreds of thousands of years. So these people are talking about local weather patterns and, uh, and, and they're equating that to climate, but it's, it's, it's nonsense. And they don't understand the real science behind it. They understand the politics behind it. Well, that's what drives them, isn't it? So obviously electric cars and things like that are not the solution. I mean, I have a, an editorial here by Lawrence Solomon that suggests that electric cars are a bigger polluter than anything else we've ever faced. Just because we can't see the pollution in the way we're used to seeing it, it's all industrial. We're going to have to build larger plants, more transmission lines, because with all these renewable energy sources, with winds and stuff, they have to be away from populated areas. Etc. Etc. It's just jumping from the frying pan into the fire, so to speak. If it's climate change, we're worried and about. Not only not only the um, the carbon footprint of electricity that we have to well not be concerned about, but we talk about big, bigger for electrical cars. You have to think about what does a an electric car run on, or where does it store the energy? It stores the energy in a battery. Battery containing some very rare elements, some very um, polluting elements if they're not handled proper, properly. Lithium in a, in a battery has to be mined, usually in open pit minings. Um, I think that there's only a couple on the, on, the, on the face of the earth where they're coming from. I think Arizona may, might be one of them. And th these, of course, are causing environmental damage. Now, it's, I, I do not classify as pollution. Pollution is a political concept, not an environmental one, if you ask me. So to talk about using electric cars to be good for the environment is denying everything that goes into making that electric car and fueling it. You know, and this speaks to a lot of the topics we talk about on this show, is the superficial understanding of an idea or an issue that the general public, and obviously the media, judging by those talk show hosts that we just heard, who have no idea what they're talking about, and politicians who still buy into this greenhouse nonsense, and the United Nations, who are doubling down with their latest statement from the IPCC, it speaks to the superficiality. People need to be able to, to understand an issue fully to, to be able to make policy on it, and they're not doing that. They're not doing their homework. They're lazy. Well, to borrow an old statement, you know, they like to say it's not rocket science, but this is kind of rocket science. It certainly it, is science. It's science, and it's very complex to understand all the interrelations and things that we, we ourselves do not fully understand. But we do understand the big issues as far as everything I've ever researched. We understand the major causes of climate. I did, I did my own personal study on this years ago for the show. We did a two or three or four part series. I mean, Life magazine that printed exactly how everything works back in the 40s and 50s, right? That was when they were still honest media. But today, you don't get science. You get science fiction it's being interesting, promoted Dave, as in, your, in your book, Dave, you, you speak about things like the Coriolis effect. You, you speak of the jet stream and the air currents keeping carbon dioxide in the nor northern hemisphere rather than the south, those kinds of issues. I learned some of this stuff in grade 8. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's probably 40 years ago. Yeah. Is it being taught today? I, I have no idea. Apparently not. I've got a chart in my book, and I'm just uh, going by memory here now, so I may be a little bit off on the numbers. There's 
PDF files that you can uh, browse on the internet. It's the uh, science curricula for uh, Ontario high schools. Uh, climate change is mentioned something like 131 times, I think it is. Uh, greenhouse gas is mentioned, I believe it's 44 times. Milankovitch cycles get one mention. Now, Milankovitch cycles are orders of magnitude, more influential a greenhouse gas in determining what Earth's climate is, is going to be. And it, it, it should be, if it's going to be 44 to 1, it should be at least 44 to 1 for Milankovitch cycles against greenhouse gas. We're not teaching kids how to think. We're teaching them what to think. It's not education. It's indoctrination, programming, propaganda, brainwashing, call it what you will. But it's not education that we do in our school system anymore. So on TV, it looks like I'm in front of a map of Pittsburgh. I have to look at the image over there, but I have to gesture over here. <laughs> it's insane. It looks easy. Well, thank you. When you do it right, it does look easy. I bet I could do it. Aren't you confident? <laughs> Somebody's parents are still together. <laughs> well, why don't you come up and give it a try? Hey, Gus, can we have today's weather cast and the teleprompter up here? Okay. Great. Okay, do your best. <clears throat> well, the rain is continuing here in most of western Pennsylvania with a stubborn low pressure system. That means the low-lying regions have an increased possibility of flooding, particularly around the Monongahela River. Now, <laughs> as we turn to the five-day forecast... Okay, that's enough, that's enough. But I didn't finish. Oh, no, you're done, sweetie, you're done. <laughs> It would appear that our roulette wheel has landed us on a world that has suffered a terrible climactic cataclysm. Nuclear winter? Uh, quite possibly. Or a shifting of the Earth's axis, or some sort of ecological disaster. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. It is thanks to our financial supporters that it's possible for us to continue on our journey in the right direction and to share our programming with you. Check out patreon.com slash justrightmedia or visit www.justrightmedia.org to offer your financial support. And while you're there, be sure to sample our archive broadcasts featuring an array of timeless discussions of all things Just Right about freedom and capitalism. You know, guys, sometimes I have to shake my head at why the authorities want to freeze the climate and that's an intentional pun there, because yeah. <laughs> we are in a nice age. They want to freeze the climate here and now to what it is today, rather than saying, oh, perhaps it was better during, uh, you know, 60 million years ago, 67 million years ago, when we had the dinosaurs and the entire planet was lush with life. No, they choose to freeze the climate today during an interglacial period, during a, an ice age. Why? Why do they want this climate rather than, say, at the Maunder Minimum? Why do they want this climate rather than uh, in the future, according to uh, the Milankovitch cycles when, cycles, when we will actually have a colder climate? What is it so special about this climate? They mention things like, oh, we're going to lose polar bears. They mention things like the water is going to rise, therefore people will lose their beachfront. 
They, they think of the permafrost um, warming so that the houses built on permafrost might shift. Well, my answer to that kind of motivation for freezing the climate is adapt, as we always have. For tens of thousands of years, we adapted, we moved out of Africa into you know, more suitable climates for us, perhaps. We, we build houses higher from the ocean. We don't build on permafrost if the permafrost is going to turn into mud. Why can't you adapt rather than going through this charade of, of getting rid of capitalism? Well, because that's the goal. That's <laughs> the the goal. adapting is irrelevant, right? I guess I answered my own question. See, once you start <laughs> with your agenda and work backwards from that, then nothing in the way matters anymore, right? This is not a, a quest for knowledge on the part of these people, okay? It's a quest for protecting their own interests. If they've got a beachfront house, that's what they care about. If they lived a thousand years ago, they'd want to freeze the climate the way it was then. And so everything is very self-centered, very... Well, when we had and, Christopher and Moncton on the show, he's, he said that climate change would be, be beneficial to Canadians. Oh, yes. It because you be. have a warmer climate. I mean, and everything they said about it, even the polar bears, it's all lies. Polar bears have an explosion in population right now. It's true. And you see pictures in the paper all the time of, of a lot of the uh, Aboriginal people killing them and getting, getting in trouble for doing it, right, from us supposed nature lovers who don't have to live with nature, right? Mm-hmm. I don't no. think it's polar bears that are threatened... Uh, by climate change. I believe it's the Adelie penguin. There's, what, two penguin species in Antarctica. There's the emperor penguins and the Adelie penguins. I think it's the Adelie penguins, and again, it's an article I read quite a long time ago, so I'm going on memory here, and I may not be fully correct on all these facts, but since Al Gore made an inconvenient truth and uh, predicted that uh, Antarctica was going to melt, the ice has been ever expanding, and in recent years it's reached uh, maximum expanses uh, for as long as we've been watching. Uh, and in the last few years, the Adelie penguins, they, they walk across this ice to their summer breeding grounds, and I think it's something like, I don't know if it's 70 miles or kilometers, whatever it is, it's quite a long distance that they have to, to walk to get to their summer breeding grounds where they have fish, food, whatever uh, that, that they eat and they breed. The problem is with the expanding ice, they've had to walk like twice as far. By the time they get there, they're starved. They're, they're too um, emaciated to, to breed. And basically, they've stopped breeding. In the last few years, there's been little or no uh, new penguins born. And, and this species is facing extinction because there's too much ice in Antarctica. So you can talk about all the polar bears all you want. You, see, you always see the same picture of one starving polar bear, which was a really old polar bear that was dying because it was so old. And you, that's a picture you see of polar bears all the time. But this whole idea of stopping climate change, that would be one way to uh, basically um, deal with the population problem because everybody would die. Climate change very... Well, there you go. There's the objective. Yeah, well, <laughs> climate change very nearly stopped back uh, in the days uh, about 248 million years ago at the Permian-Triassic boundary. Pangaea was a supercontinent at the time that spanned from pole to pole, and it cut off all the ocean currents. There were no oceans at the time. There was an ocean called uh, the Panthalassic Sea, and basically with the disruption in the ocean currents and there were other things going on the siberian traps were forming which put between 100 trillion and 200 trillion tons of carbon dioxide and about 13 trillion tons of uh, 
chlorine into the air. So there are a lot of other bad things going on at the time. Uh, but the, the big thing that really killed life back then was that the ocean stagnated. They became anoxic. Uh, they ran out of oxygen and almost everything, uh, something like 95% of marine species and 70 to 75% of land species perished. And the reason for it was that climate became too stable for too long. In order for life to live on this planet and to continue to live here and evolve here, the planet needs to be shaken up on a pretty constant basis, which means that we need these things like tropical storms and earthquakes and tsunamis and all these things that we find so devastating and threatening, those are actually necessary for life to continue on this planet. So stopping climate change is a, a, a really stupid thing to do, even if we could do it. To say nothing of carbon dioxide itself, it's the gas of life. That's what, you know, Lawrence Solomon keeps calling it. And other yeah, but the are... U.S. Supreme Court declared carbon dioxide to be a pollutant, which is just more stupidity. Uh, these people may all know the law, but they certainly don't know anything about science. And that was with a leftist court, too. That sort of also explains why so many people are so ignorant about what's going on with climate. They are trusting in the authorities who are passing these laws, who are telling them the same nonsense over and over again, like the high priests of the church, and are just inundating them with knowledge that isn't so. And so how will they get exposed to books like yours, to other authors, even like Christopher Essex, Ross McKittrick? I mean, they get a minimal amount, but they don't get the, the kind of media saturation that the UN and all of its um, government-regulated media outlets spew because that's what i'm I'm doing what i can to spread the word i I have a website set up it's inconveniently screwed.com and you can go there and check out the book and even buy it online i've also uh talked to my uh my mpp i left him a copy of the book and gave him a couple more copies to get to the minister of education and minister of the environment so hopefully i'm trying to spread the word through political circles to get the word out but the science the science has to be uh, has to be taught in in schools. The next generations need to understand the science. Um, what they're getting now is the politics. And uh, I mean, carbon dioxide at 400 parts per million sounds like a lot, but 400 parts per million is one part in 2,500. We're all got our knickers in a knot about the fact that that might go up 10%, and that's going to supposedly precipitate some sort of a Venus-like Armageddon here on Earth, but. of one part in 2,500 is one part in 25,000. And I liken that to if you're earning $25,000 a year and your boss offers you a dollar a year raise, is it going to make a huge difference to your lifestyle? Because that's how much difference one part in 25,000 is going to make to to Earth's atmosphere if if carbon dioxide goes up to 440 parts per million. You know, when you say things like that, Dave, it just boggles the mind how anybody can believe this nonsense of anthropogenic climate change and why we should be so punished by our leaders with carbon taxes and and trying to change our habits Uh, as a result. It's it's just, it boggles the mind. It's also a promise of the afterlife, isn't it? Like everything they're promising us that will benefit the planet is going to be after we're all dead. So we won't be here to see if if the results are there or not. So how can I get motivated by something like that? When, in fact, I'm more worried about people killing themselves in wars and, and, and more immediate things that, that relate to human activities. The climate's going to be changing whether we want to blow the world up or just sit here still. It's- you know, it's interesting. I, I think I recall reading about one of the theories of how life evolved on this planet. And 
it had to do with tidal pools in the moon. The moon pulls on the planet and twists it into bulges, and of course it creates the tides. Without the moon, there would be no tides, and you would have a very static sea level. But because we have the moon changing the way things happen on the planet, you had tidal pools. And in those tidal pools, perhaps was created life for the first time. That's one theory. So it, if you accept a theory like that, it is change which created life on this planet. And for people to come out and say everything has to be frozen, static, no change, is, is I think, a metaphor for the left. And that is, as I say again in every show that I can, the left are a death cult. And this, I think, is a metaphor for that. On that uh, Permian-Triassic extinction I talked about, uh, was it's colloquially known as the Great Dying. And stopping climate change would create another Great Dying. And that's what these people want. Seems so. They are a death cult. That seems so, but I, I don't favor going extinct myself, so I, I'm all in favor of continuing with climate change. <laughs> Josie, I appreciate the call. Let's go to Bob Metz. Hi, Bob. Hi, Andy. Uh, thanks for the Freedom Party plug earlier on in the show, because you were quite correct. Uh, Freedom Party is the only party not on the carbon conundrum page. You know, this carbonated politics we're getting today is purely political. I have been interviewing scientists, including Christopher Essex, up at the university, just very recently on my own show, Just Right, including other experts on the issue who actually study climate change. And then you also have to study the politics. And the politics is not driven by actual climate change. The climate they're changing is the political one. They're turning us from a formerly um, free democracy to a state-controlled enterprise, we've got three extreme left-wing parties in the province, and we need something on the right. Is climate change real? Climate is always changing. And as Paul McKeever said, you know, climate change is a fact. It's natural, you know, and we do what human beings have always done. We, 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 we adapt. That's what human beings do. And if climate change is going, and it's totally, totally unpredictable for so many reasons. Um, I can't even get into it, but I spent hours and hours studying this. If we accept that climate change is real, is it the, our lifestyle that's causing it? No. We have a very minimal effect. In fact, CO2 is not a harmful thing at all. And by the way, CO2 is a consequence of heat, not a cause of it. These simple um, kindergarten facts are totally ignored. And even Patrick Brown says that when he's appealing to, to the public on this issue, it's not because he doesn't care about the debate about actual climate change. What he cares about is that most kids in the schools have been now indoctrinated to believe this. Bob Metz, please tell us that we don't need to do what's in the Globe and Mail story today. What's in the story? I only heard about this just as I tuned in. Okay. Headline in the Globe and Mail this morning, that's what this has all been about, that the Liberals have a... Well, let me just read the first paragraph. Mm -hmm. The Ontario government will spend more than $7 billion over the next four years on a sweeping climate change plan 
that will affect every aspect of life, from what people drive to how they heat their homes and workplaces. In a bid to slash the province's carbon footprint, they will begin phasing out natural gas for heating, provide incentives to retrofit buildings, and give rebates to drivers who buy electric vehicles. It will also require that gasoline sold in the province contain less carbon, bring in building code rules requiring all new homes by 2030 to be heated with electricity or geothermal units. Well, that's all consistent with the philosophy of our governments, all three, all three parties in the legislature. And you won't get any disagreement from them on this. But it's, a, it's not about climate change. Whenever you hear the word carbon or CO2, just ignore it. It's the fairy tale that goes along. You know, it's not a carbon tax. It's a provincial tax. Okay? You're not taxing carbon. They're taxing per liter in, in, the, in the gas that you're putting in your car. End of story. The rest is a story. And it's completely make-believe. And this is so demonstrable. Throughout, You know, we're in the middle of an ice age, and we should be thankful for the little warm spell that we have right now. Because if we're going in any direction, it's the other ways from what they're telling us. And any reputable scientist will tell you this. They're ignoring complete fields because they don't care about it. The climate change thing that started on the left began back in the 50s and 60s in the Vietnam days. And you know what? Ayn Rand wrote about it in her book, The New Left. When she predicted in the early 1960s, the next way that the left will attack capitalism and freedom is through the environmental issues. She says they'll make up stories about polar bears being extinct, literally, literally, because this has all been planned by Socialism International for years and all its affiliate groups. Let me share. This is not about climate change. Bob, let me share this text message. OMG, Bob Metz is totally out to lunch. Look up what humans have added to the atmosphere in CO2. We know what we produce. Randy. Um, I have looked, and it's minuscule. I've talked to people. We've measured. I can, I can give you references. All kinds. I'd like to know the other side of the story. The other side of the story proves nothing. They're going on the basis of, well, we're doing it just in case. They have no evidence of any sort. I've talked to the top people. The top people. I, I interviewed Lord Christopher Monckton, who at the time, when he was with Margaret Thatcher, they were both into the whole thing until they investigated it. And they were the first ones to say, no, this is not the case. We have one minute left. Yes. Uh, tell me what a freedom, uh, a freedom Party would do if they were in power. Well, we would get government out of the out of the out of the energy business. We would we would encourage natural gas. Um, we would encourage anything that that's based on market prices. That, that that's how everything works. That, that that ends up being cheaper for us. The government should be a referee in the marketplace, not a player in the game, and certainly not the monopolist. And that's what it's all about. Okay, one more, because we only have 30 seconds left. We have to stick to it. Uh, please have Bob tell us who these scientists are that he knows. Christopher Essex, Ross McKittrick, uh, the people that were associated with them, uh, Dave Plum, who, who wrote a book on the issue. I've, I've interviewed many people over here. I can even keep, keep track of them, including a lot of Bob, folks at the National Post. Bob, we have 10 seconds left. Sum up all, everything you've said in the, in the next 10 seconds. Well, the climate 
change reason for taxing us is merely a fairy tale story. They're taxing us because we have health care to pay for, education, and all the other elephants in the room that they don't want to deal with, but they're cutting back like crazy on the services while they increase taxes and think and, and try to tell us, oh my goodness, climate change is our big issue when we have patients lying on the floors of hospitals on the front pages of our paper who can't get service. Bob, Give me a break, Andy. Bob, uh, good to hear your voice again. Thank okay. you, sir. Our listeners should take note that just after this broadcast, I'm going to sit down with Dave Plum, author of Inconveniently Screwed, for an interview, uh, which I will post on our YouTube channel at Just Rate Media. So if you go to Just Rate Media, click on our YouTube link, and subscribe to our channel, you'll be notified when that video comes out. Now, I I was myself very interested in this diagram that that you are relating to here. Now, this is new to um, our discussion because yeah. uh, you've added this to your book that we talked about previously, and it's a video that's available on, uh, on YouTube from NASA. Yes, this is uh, actually what we see here is a screenshot of, uh, of a uh, YouTube video that was done by NASA, and I think it runs something like three minutes and 10 or 11 seconds. And it's a year of carbon dioxide, and if you just go and browse for a year of carbon dioxide, it'll come up uh, near the top of the list. And what it shows is all this red and yellow swirling stuff in the northern hemisphere, and that's uh, carbon dioxide up around in the 390 to 400 parts per million range. Uh, In the southern hemisphere, there's hardly anything, uh, pretty much clear skies year-round. Uh, You can see as you go through the year that the carbon dioxide builds up, uh, hits its peak around the beginning of May. Around October, uh, it hits a minimum, and then from then until May, it starts to build up again. So the screenshot I have here is kind of the worst-case scenario in terms of northern hemisphere carbon dioxide concentrations. But the interesting thing is that down at the bottom, you see the uh, Antarctic Peninsula, and there's no carbon dioxide showing up uh, down around there because the concentrations in the southern hemisphere are are very, very low. And the reason for that is because of the intertropical convergence zone. Now, the intertropical convergence zone is essentially a wall of air uh, that forms around the equator, and it has to do with the Earth spinning and creating a Coriolis effect. The Coriolis force is a force of spinning, and things stick up off the surface of the planet mountains, buildings, people, cars, whatever, and grab hold of some of the air and and spin it in such a way that you get trade winds in the northern and southern hemisphere. And in the southern hemisphere, the trade winds kind of blow one way, and in the northern hemisphere, they they blow the opposite way. And where they meet at the equator, at the intertropical convergence zone, the trade winds don't mix, they butt heads. And basically, they repel one another. So what happens in the northern hemisphere stays there, and what happens in the southern hemisphere stays there. The northern hemisphere contains about three-quarters of the world's land mass. It contains 90% of its human population, and it contains most of its known volcanic activities. So consequently, the northern hemisphere is where all this greenhouse gas, or almost all of it, is produced. Very little is produced in the southern hemisphere. Southern hemisphere is mostly ocean, and oceans are carbon sinks. So the ocean draws down carbon dioxide, and uh, as a result, you see uh, a, a very distinct, it's almost like two separate planets, the northern it, it seems hemisphere. that way, and what's really odd when I look at it, I mean, I know it's 
been skewed by the way they do the graph and how they divide it and use the colors. It's like a straight line, then blue below it and all red above it. And of course, a lot of that blue is oceans. And yet some of the climate change alarmists today are now telling us that Uh, the reason we're having this carbon uh, dioxide increase is because of the oceans. The oceans are releasing that. Well, if that were true, then the southern hemisphere would be even more carbon dioxide than the northern, wouldn't it? In places where oceans are warming up, um, and they are warming in some areas, uh, they're probably uh, releasing carbon dioxide, or it may simply be that they're not absorbing as much as they used to absorb. And again, it's like mm. the financial argument that we lost money this year. Well, what it means is that you expected to make $2 million profit and you only made a million, so you lost a million dollars. This is the way things get spun. And I, I'm not really sure if the oceans are releasing carbon dioxide uh, net overall. I don't think they are. No, I didn't get that impression either, especially when that information's coming from... <laughs> well, even around Antarctica, there's things Al Gore didn't tell us about. He didn't tell us about uh, the hydrothermal vents along the divergent uh, South Scotia Ridge lying just offshore from Antarctica. These hydrothermal vents are pumping greenhouse gas into the, uh, into the ocean there at 400 degrees centigrade, and not very far from there, there's this South Sandwich uh, Island Arg, which is uh, it's, it's undersea volcanoes, uh, 3,000 meters or 10,000 feet high that are also blowing a lot of uh, volcanic gas into the uh, into the ocean. Um, uh, but Al didn't happen to mention uh, all that. But I think if the ocean around the Antarctic Peninsula is warming, I think the undersea volcanoes and hydrothermal vents pumping all this uh, greenhouse gas into the ocean at a temperature that's roughly equivalent to the temperature on the surface of Venus, I think that might account for something more than us burning fossil fuel in the northern hemisphere. It's interesting looking at that graph, how I think it illustrates how some people can be alarmed at the the hype about climate change, because looking at it, you see all the carbon dioxide. It's a scary looking graph. All the carbon dioxide is in red, and it looks like an inferno. It looks like Dante's Inferno in the Northern Hemisphere, and people don't realize that, well, that, that could have easily been just green or blue. It depends on the person creating the graph, That's what right. color he chose to represent a change in CO2. And, and because he chose red, people look at that and go, oh my God, the world is burning up. And the difference between a northern and southern hemisphere could be very incremental, very tiny, and yet still represented in this extreme way. Exactly, right? yes. So you're dealing... Always read the key. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You were talking as well that you spoke to your MPP. Now, your MPP is a fellow you ran against in the last election, didn't you? Jeff Yurick. Yes. yes. He's a good guy. Yes. And um, what was your experience with respect to the whole global warming issue during the last provincial election? Was it, was it a hot item, pardon the pun, on people's uh, political agendas? Not really. I, I guess carbon taxes were, were in there. Uh, what I found when I was running for election is that people, unfortunately, were not really interested in the in the big picture issues. They were interested in things like local things, like uh, gravel pits and the cost of running community centers. Sure. And, What's going to affect me in my lifetime? Not saying, well, okay, but I mean, th- these aren't provincial issues. And yet, we've got a, a premier now who obviously thought it was a big enough issue to make an issue of in terms of not implementing the carbon tax. That whole carbon tax issue isn't going away. We still see a political battle forming around that. I even hate the name of it, carbon tax, because, I mean, we're carbon. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so, hmm. And we're taxed. Yeah, I wonder what's up next on their carbon tax list, Yeah, well, right? it's like organic food, right? Organic means it contains carbon. Duh. Yes. <laughs> All food is organic. There's a thought. I never thought about that in that, quite, quite that long. I always have to laugh whenever I see that something was grown organically. Go, yeah. There is no other way to do There's it. There's no other way to grow it. <laughs> no. I mean, this whole discussion often gets ridiculous for folks like us, but other people take it very seriously. What would it take to actually shake this whole irrationality out of our system? Besides, I don't know that knowledge alone will do it. Is there some kind of motivation or uh, something else that would get us to think straight on this? I have no idea. I think we need uh, a spokesperson at a high level of uh, public recognition and um, charisma. Somebody that, uh, that has the ear of the public, that has a, what, what you would call a platform, uh, who's sensible enough to say, um, you know, that we need to look at the science, stop looking at the politics and start looking at the science and realize what the science is telling us. So far, I don't think we have any of those people coming forward. Oh, like, hey, they're all, hey. They're all... look at this headline right here. You want the scientists to come out? Look at the scientists that are coming out. Quote, scientists study climate change for its effects on mental health. Yeah. So you know where that's going now, that climate yeah. change is, is affecting mental health and creating breakouts of all sorts of uh, mental conditions. Well, you talk about somebody uh, famous with charisma who wants to pick up this gauntlet and run with it. I don't think it's going to happen. If you look at any sort of contrary view to the leftist um, narrative, the platform gets taken away from these people, even if it's like Roseanne Barr supporting Trump. Boom, her show's gone. James Woods talks about not voting or, you know, uh, men not voting to give women a greater say, you know, in tongue-in-cheek. Boom, his Twitter his Twitter's shut down. Uh, so we see it all around that. And if anybody, even if their celebrity status comes out and uh, violates the the narrative of the left, they are pilloried, they are destroyed, or at least an attempt is made to, to, to remove the platform that they used to have. Mm-hmm. Has to take somebody that has the courage to do it, who is a big enough fish that he just can't be knocked off his platform. Uh, a Donald Trump getting out of the Paris Agreement, for example, although then they, they make every effort to destroy that man as well. Well, I, the I don't think he's with, got the any problem with people like Donald Trump and, and Doug Ford, even though I think they're doing the right things in terms of rolling back carbon taxes and all that sort of thing, I don't think they're doing it because they understand climate or climate change. I think they're doing it because uh, they see a segment of the electorate that's fed up with this BS and uh, and they see a, and they see a, a, they, see, they see a large grassroots yeah. support. As, as Bob says, on the economic side of it to put more money back in people's pockets because they recognize it's really just a tax grab. So any last words that you wanted to uh, let the folks know? Maybe one last shot at telling them where they can get your book? The website is uh, inconveniencyscrewed.com, available for sale there. There's a few pages. Uh, one tells you a little bit about me, the author. Another page has some selected readings out of the uh, book, and uh, there's a page that has a complete chapter listing with a brief summary of the chapters, and then a page where you can uh, buy the book. Well, thank you for joining us again today, Dave, and the book is Inconveniently Screwed. And I think the point to be taken out of all this is, yes, the facts don't matter to the left. In fact, the facts threaten the left. 
So whatever facts you may have gleaned from today's show, they'll only be useful to you and to those who consent to listen to the show next week when we return again, and we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Hello. I'm Montana Diaz Herrera. Oh, right, you're the weather girl. Uh, nice to meet you. Or do you prefer weather woman? I never know which. Actually, I prefer meteorologist. But you're not a meteorologist. But I prefer it. Oh, uh... It makes me seem like a professional. Oh, trust me, that skirt alone makes you seem like a professional. <laughs>